It's the language of the universe. But I don't understand it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Math and Physics Podcast. I'm your host, Parker. And I'm Ray. And we welcome you back to episode number 101, where today we are going to be talking about experimental astrophysics, experimental astronomy. Let me keep it a little simple. So, so the big question, right? The big question. First of all, welcome back to our episode, the, least, the, the recent viewers. Uh, the big question, we have been a little bit delayed for the last couple weeks, as some of you might have noticed. Mm-hmm. And it's simply been because of an extremely tough schedule at school. I think all the university goers out there, all the university listeners can definitely attest to it. You know, when you have those periods where you basically don't have a life, that was us for these last mm-hmm. three weeks. So here we are, finally recording another episode. Um, so it's very exciting for us. And yeah. Yeah, so I guess it, it turns out that we were able to do this during second year. We didn't take a break during second year ever. But uh, yeah, third year is pretty busy these ta- uh, this time of year. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Also, just... on, I was, I was going to say online, I think. Like oh, yeah. the fact that yeah. we were online, like you can get out of your bed and go to school. Yeah. <laughs> but sure. here, you know, it's like an hour is spent just getting to school, like coming back and whatnot. So there's a lot of extra time that's gone there. So then now we have to, now we also have a podcast to record. So it gets really hard. So unfortunately, until our exams get over, which is end of April, it's going to be like a whenever we can record, we record mm-hmm. kind of basis. So we will, yeah. we will definitely release an episode after April 8th because that's when our classes finish. And I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure we have like a week break between classes and it's not exams. not a break, but yeah. But yeah, <laughs> no, a, yeah. We'll, we'll definitely have time to do another one there. So it's not going to be like another month, but uh, yeah. Yeah, no, that's definitely good to mention though. Um, at least we wanted to get it out of the way for why that happened and why it might happen again, especially fourth year. Now, I don't know what's in store for us there. So at least now that you know that this can happen, it might happen again. And it's all just dependent on our school, right? It's not like we don't want to record. It's simply the time. So we can... I think get into it. Do we have? Oh, I'm forgetting. Yeah. I'm forgetting. <laughs> well, we, we we do have a comment of the week and so many nice comments on uh, episode number 100. Um, but this week's comment of the week goes to Matthew Quirk. He says, wow, episode 100. I'm so happy I could be here for this milestone. And I know Parker was saying that it doesn't really mean anything <laughs> because I was talking about the number. It doesn't, yeah. You know, but he says triple digits. Let's go. Uh, I'm a senior in high school, currently taking linear algebra and differential equations. I don't know how you're doing that in Wait, what? high school. Equations? <laughs> yeah. um, he says, yeah. I want to go into pure math, but listening to your podcast more and more makes me want to study physics. Anyways, here's to 100 more episodes. Wow, right. what a comment. Um, yeah, by the way, like if you study math, going into physics is such an easy transition because mm-hmm. most of the time physicists learn things before they learn the math for those things. And so it's kind of like you understand what you learn the year after when you actually get into mm-hmm. like we've been dealing with the Schrodinger equation since first year which was two years ago. And just this year, we're learning about partial differential equations, which the Schrodinger equation is a PDE. So just now, am I really like understanding it a little bit deeper and it like actually makes sense? So, you know, if you're studying math, like pure math, you really like understand everything the physicists do, but like all you gotta do is apply it to the physical world. But yeah, so good luck. Good luck with that, Matt. Valid. Can we get into it? Mm-hmm. Can we so, get into it? Yeah, I think the very first thing we want to talk about today, right, both of the things we're going to talk about today were labs that we did in our uh, experiment. Experimental astronomy. Like it's called practical astronomy. Practical, yeah. But like I think like experimental astronomy, sure. like it's kind of it's kind of more. Yeah. yeah. So every semester we have a few labs to do. And uh, these labs are very interesting. And, like uh, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're actually the one that we're doing today 
we'll have to talk about later because it's actually also very interesting. But uh, okay, the first thing we're going to talk about is exoplanet transitions. Oh, we talked about this with Sarah Seeger, Dr. Sarah Seeger. Um, she's an exoplanetary scientist, and we had her on episode 99, 99 I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, that was a very awesome episode. And this is one of the techniques that we spoke about. You know, how do you tell if certain stars have planets that go around them? There's many techniques. One of them is exoplanet transits. How do you detect transitions? Okay, so an exoplanet, just, you know, back to the basics. It's a planet that is not in our solar system. It's orbiting a different star. And a transit is when that planet goes in front of that star. And, of course, this is with respect to our line of sight towards that star. Because, of course, mm. you know, some solar systems can be oriented in different directions. And maybe you have a planet that's going around the star, but never goes in front of the star, right? Like it's always, it, it just looks like it's doing a circle around that it's star. It's like a face on, yeah. it's like the face on versus like edge on yeah. kind of descriptions of, so this is basically just all talking about like, but basically what we're describing is like the planet's inclination, right? Mm -hmm. With respect to its star from our perspective. Yeah. From our perspective, because remember everything when we go extrasolar is from our perspective, because yeah. when it comes to things orbiting the sun, it's pretty it's pretty easy to you know go ahead and change it from our perspective to the sun's perspective to the galaxy's perspective and whatnot because we know our location but when we're comparing it mm. or looking at some random star you know of, of which we're trying to find a planet you we don't really know its exact location in the cosmos so we don't know its you know you i mean you can kind of think of it like a spatial grid we might know like briefly how far it is but we don't necessarily know its coordinates and that is kind of what's stopping us from extrapolating exact values with respect to the star so it's always oh with respect to us we see that the planet's inclination is zero which simply mean doesn't mean the planet is actually you know perfectly uh level with the star it's actually the opposite it actually means that we don't see any transits at all right mm -hmm. because it's completely face on with respect to us mm -hmm. So it's all perspective when it goes extrasolar. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure what you meant by we don't know where the star is, but like we definitely know like where it is. Like we know? have its coordinate as in yeah. like we understand where it is. But in the also night like sky. we can we can kind of like if it's far away, you know, we can kind of, you know, there, there are ways to tell. No, because I was mainly thinking about, OK, I'm kind of getting ahead of the whole thing. Like the but distance like, ladder. You know? No, I understand we that where, we know like where it is. We know like, we know the direction and the distance. My question, my 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 main thing is simply by extrapolating, you know, like planetary properties. We can't like we can't put it with respect to the actual stellar system. It's always with respect to us. Is what I'm saying. Okay. Right. Yeah, okay. Like if the planet is completely edge on, which means like it's, wait, is that inclination zero or did I mess it up? No, Sorry. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's right. okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so when the planet is edge on, that means it's perfect. Like we are perfectly in the line of sight of the planet. Then what happens is in this case, we, uh, yeah, again, all the information that's extrapolated is all what we are seeing. We won't be able to convey that inclination to the actual inclination of the planet around well the star. there is no actual inclination you know what i mean well i mean the planet is inclined with respect to the star's orbit but it's oh just, if we yeah are that's what you it, mean but that's, that's exact, two different things no exactly that's, exactly like that's those are, the whole those point are two different things make. that's the whole point that i'm trying to make that we can't get the uh true values with respect to its star because all of our measurements are done from our perspective right and that's just like one limit of this whole method okay yeah right. yeah sure but those things aren't really relevant like the the inclination of the of the pole of the is planet a, is a is different not, inclination but, but i'm saying but it's, it's not still... relevant to like the detecting the planet oh right? no you of course not I mean? no, no 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 not at all not at all um that's why i said i'm getting ahead of myself because i'm going into the next thing yeah. that we were trying to talk about oh yeah yeah exactly <laughs> okay. exactly so i would that, that's exactly why i said that that so, also doesn't have anything to no do. but i'm saying we can't <laughs> do that next step because of the fact that we are looking at it from our perspective. You feel me? But I think you're talking like, are you talking about the inclination of the pole or the inclination of the orbit? 
I'm talking about we know the inclination of the pole. We can't find the inclination of the orbit. How do we know the inclination of the pole? Because we're, that's what we're seeing. The inclination I, of the orbit. Am I messing? The, oh, sorry. The whole I'm orbit. Them. I'm flipping yeah. them. Am I not? Yeah, I'm flipping them. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. We know the inclination. Sorry, sorry. We know the inclination of the orbit. We don't know the inclination of the pole. And we can't find that out because of the fact that we are looking at it from a perspective. Right. That's, that's just the major point that I kind of wanted to bring on the table. Okay. I think you're also confusing with something else, but... We're going to get, okay, we're going to yeah, get yeah, to no, no, it no. later. This, this whole thing will make a lot more sense when we talk about the next thing. So let's just continue with this before I, I got very much ahead so, of myself. My bad. Uh, we were talking about, what was I even talking about? Once you just trans. Just, okay. Yeah. So the planet goes in front of the star. We can tell that there's a planet there. How do we tell that? Well, the star has a certain flux and a flux is energy per second per unit length or unit area. area. Um, and energy is in the form of photons. We see photons coming. Um, how many photons per second per, you know, how, how big the projection of the star is on the sky. Um, or I guess another way would be to say, like the way we calculate flux from the moon or something like that mm. is we say like, like the way that our, our prof kind of explained it was like, if you take one meter squared where we are right now and you say, how many photons pass through that one square meter mm. per second mm. will be the flux from mm. that source right there. Now, an, an, an interesting comparison to you might be wondering, okay, I understand how to do it with a ground. How do you do it with a telescope? Well, you have a pixel, right? So... Mm. The flux that is measured in mm. a camera, in this case, if let's say, as you were as you were mentioning, like if we, how do we know that there's a star? Well, we know there's a flux. So measuring the flux through a to, through a telescope is actually very similar. We already know the the dimensions of the pixels, right? Because mm. that's just simply given by the detector or camera that we're using. Mm. And all we really need to do is simply measure the number of photons, or you guessed it, just brightness of the pixel. So measuring the brightness of the pixel compared to the size of the pixel gives us a reading for the flux. Mm -hmm. And since every pixel on your camera is the same, you don't really need to consider the size of the pixel. And so, you know, a measure of flux is just the brightness of the thing on your image. Exactly. And, you know, it's not exactly like one to one, like the flux is not the, the actual flux of the star is not equal to, you know, how bright your pixel is, but it's like literally proportional so that's mm -hmm. why we, we take the brightness as a measure of the flux mm -hmm. um so the star is sending photons our way and photons are coming from every part of the star and we're going to get to a little bit more in detail about that but right now let's just assume that the entire star sends the same amount of photons our way no matter where you are on the star. So it's like a, a, just a circle. It's uniformly lit. Right. It's uni yeah. a uniformly lit circle sending photons our way. Now, if there was an object that were to pass in front of that star, that object would be blocking photons. And so by definition, it's removing from the flux that we receive here on Earth. So if we were to take a picture of the star, now because the, the star is really far away, it just looks like a little dot on our screen, um, but that dot will suddenly get a little bit dimmer when something is blocking the photons from reaching our camera. And then once that thing passes the star, it will return to its normal brightness. And that's what we detect. We detect the star literally sending less photons to our camera and then you know, going back to normal and we say, oh, well, obviously something has to be <laughs> passing in front of it for mm. it to dim. And so we say, there you go. We, there's an exoplanet and it is transiting in front of the star. Mm. And that's what we did in, in our lab. Now, yeah, sorry. I was it's a little bit more complicated. Yeah, yeah, I was just going <laughs> to you know. say, it's very easy just to, you know, just to, 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 to understand the theory because it's, well, if something is passing by it, well, obviously it's going to dim by some factor. And interestingly enough, that factor is also related to the size of the planet. So that's actually how we, that's how we computed the radius of 
whatever planet is transiting the star. Mm -hmm. But now the problem is kind of twofold. The number one is actually number one leads into problem number two. And number one is, well, does this like, does the star stay constant number one in brightness so that we can simply measure mm -hmm. this planet transiting? Mm -hmm. Because there are variable stars that their brightness literally changes on dynamical time scales, exactly. which is not that big co mm -hmm. compared to other time scales. We did take, we, we, we spoke about, about time, time scales in, in the previous episode. Yeah. I know we in, definitely in the, in the astrophysics uh, episode. Yes, Basically yes, yes. The, the dynamical time scale is much shorter than something like Calvary. the thermal time scale. And so, you know, you have these stars called Cepheid variable stars. And I think maybe we spoke about that. But anyways, Cepheid variable stars, their brightness, the period at which their size changes is proportional to um, how much luminosity. the brightness. Yeah, yeah the, the luminosity. luminosity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Pure luminosity relationship with Cepheid stars. Very. Yeah, because Cepheid stars literally, their radius changes. Yeah. They yeah. literally, they puff yeah, they in just, and out. And, and. The size is proportional to the luminosity or there's mm. some power relation there. Mm. Um, I guess, you know, the details don't really matter. So that, that star literally is intrinsically variable. And so if we were to assign, you know, that variability and its brightness to an exoplanet, we would just be wrong because um, that's, that we would have to be more precise. We'd have to kind of cancel out that, mm. that variation and, this is such a cool lab. There's so many things to say. But yeah, once we get rid of essentially the intrinsic variation, then we can tell if there are outside sources of dimming that come into play. Hmm. And so the number one source of variation that we found, right, is actually the sky. Because the data that we were analyzing came from a telescope, actually the William Herschel telescope. Um... And unfortunately, the telescope is actually on Earth, meaning that it has to look through the atmosphere. And uh, the thing about the atmosphere is that it scatters a lot of light, even at night. Um, even if you're in a very, a very unlight polluted place, it always has some effect on the light that passes mm -hmm. through the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And um, what we noticed, right, what we had, our data set was basically just like 300 slash like three three to four hundred images um throughout the period of like three hours so it was it was about one image every like 40 seconds and we found th the brightness of the stars on the image and just plotted it versus image number so we had these light curves which was just how bright is it hmm. light curve is a very it's, it's a very important phrase yeah, very important like light curve is like the professional way of saying okay what we're getting is its flux versus time yeah. now in this case we did image number but you can it's think the same it. thing it's, it's basically right? analogous to the because time. an image was taken at a certain time if you just convert image exactly. number to time then exactly. it's right it's it's flux versus time so how is the flux that we see here on earth changing in time and we can do this for you know we took we took well we didn't take the pictures but mm -hmm. in the pictures there was a bunch of stars and we found these light curves for as many stars as we could on this image. And it turns out that from, you know, without correcting the light curves at all, we can literally see that they follow a certain pattern. There are outliers, obviously, like Cepheid variable stars or other stars that just kind of do their own thing in terms of brightness versus time. But most of the stars that are like main sequence stars are just stable stars that have a pretty constant flux they follow like this very constant not not constant but uh you know they're all proportional to this one heavy variation factor which actually turns out to be the the sky variation how the sky changes the brightness of the entire image and that's why all of the stars follow this pattern hmm. and so how do you get rid of that well all you got to do is divide the light curve by that variation yeah it's important that all of them follow the same pattern right yeah. because all of them are affected by the same thing because the problem is if let's say you're interested in a cepheid this whole method kind of breaks down so 
uh, when you have these variable or, or these stars that are not supposed to be variable, but are somehow variable, and all of them are just somehow variable, you can well be like, okay, well, they all have a common factor of variability, right? So given the fact that all of them vary on this order of magnitude, if we simply divide out all of that variation, basically in a way, what, what, what we... I mean, what we actually did was by taking the median of all the light curves on each image, which is basically taking the variation of each image and just dividing the whole thing, each light curve by that variation. What we're basically doing is dividing each star by the sky variation, right? And that's exactly what we wanted to do in the first place. Because yeah. the sky variation is unfortunately quite a big factor that plays into quite a few things. Which is why primarily all of these experiments are done mm -hmm. from outer space. Here, right? here's, a, here's a good example, actually. Like, all of these curves had different brightness levels, right? Because some stars are just brighter than others from our view here on Earth. So these, some of the stars were low on the graph and had this variation. and Some of them were higher up and then were following kind of the same pattern. But the idea to take away is that every star, every stable star, is proportional to the background uh, variation. And so let's say you have one star and you have three images, right? The flux is like, the flux goes like, goes like one, two, three. And you have another star that goes like two, four, six, right? So you can imagine kind of plotting one, two, three, and then two, four, six. So these these two stars, if we assume that they're just stable stars, they sh the flux that we receive should be constant, right? Now, the common, the common ground here between the two is that we see that they, the brightness goes up at a constant rate. And so if we divide each of these light curves by their own values, like one divided by one, two divided by two, three divided by three, that's what we mean by dividing out the variability is that we know that's normalization that's different no i mean i mean like that's the variation that we take out like you, we we also divide the second one we do two divided by one three divided by no that's you know, it's the other way around though or four divided when by we two. divide two by two and three by three and all that like that's normalizing the curves okay no like I'm just saying, okay, but instead of taking the median, you mm -hmm. just take it to be the first one, right? Okay, it's sure. all the same thing because yeah. median just moves it up by a constant. Yeah, of course. Okay, yeah. so by dividing, you know, the first one by itself, hmm. then you get just a normalized curve. But if you divide the second one by the first one, assuming that the first one is like perfectly. Oh, assuming that the first you know one is I mean? okay, 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 okay. Yeah. yeah. So you just do like item by item division, hmm. and mm -hmm. that's how you get a flat curve. Mm. Now, getting, I don't think we need to talk about how to get like a good approximation for the sky variation, but that's basically the idea, right? The idea is that the, the stars follow a certain pattern. We kind of find that pattern and then just divide the curves, just flattening them out so that we get an idea of how they, we get, we get a better picture of how they actually are, which is mostly just flat. Exactly. But... Mm. Now the issue, I guess it's not an issue, it's a good thing. There's one star in the image that we knew which star we were looking for, by the way. We weren't, yeah, just, so this we is weren't actually, just guessing. Yeah, this is an important thing though right here, that we knew which star we're looking for. Mm -hmm. Because in a true experimental case, you would not at all be conducting this experiment from the ground. Because it would be nearly impossible. Because then you would have to, well, correct for all this stuff and then look at... Well, what we do... Well, we don't do this, but... What telescopes such as the Hubble does, right? Then Hubble is actually famous for detecting, for its detection of exoplanets. It does exactly this, but in the sky. Mm. So, I mean, in the in in space. So, without the whole effect of sky variation. Mm -hmm. So, in this case, you're nearly getting the intrinsic variation of the star. Mm. So, by basically compiling like hundreds and thousands of stars. Hubble is able to see the ones that dip enough to make it such that it might be an exoplanet. Mm -hmm. Because interestingly enough, like the Earth, for example, if you look at the Earth, now I don't know the number for this, but if you look at the Earth dropping, like like the, the light curve of the Earth, 
it's almost negligible, right? Like it's almost like there was nothing there in the first place. Where, like the earth, mean? the the oh, amount that the like, earth dips like because its radius is the so tiny. Sun dips because of the earth. I mean, sorry, yeah, that's that what makes I mean. a little more that's sense. That's what I meant. Sorry, my bad, my bad. Sorry, I'm talking about the sun's brightness dropping because of the earth passing by it. I'm saying that drop is so tiny yeah. because of Earth's small radius compared to mm -hmm. the sun. However, planets such as Jupiter, who is though at like 0.1 times mass, I um, mean times radius, I don't really know. I, don't, I, I forget now, but I, uh, I, I, I think it's 2%. I, I think it's 1%, maybe 1%. Anyways, or the volume, a big value. A big, for a radius, if a planet has a sufficient enough radius, that means... One that, again, I don't know the exact value, but there are like 1% to 2% deviations in its light curve, then they are more likely, or obviously, to be seen. So planets such as Earth hardly even get detected because they are so small. But planets such as Jupiter, they're actually called hot Jupiters, are one of the most famous planets that we detect because they're so easy to detect, right? Because any Also because they're close also to the star, which means that we can actually detect transits not not that far apart mm -hmm. right like mm -hmm. because of kepler's laws right so the closer you are the faster your period mm -hmm. and so some of these planets like i'm pretty sure the one that we found had a period of like under a day it was like, it so was, fast it was crazy it was so fast so, 1.4 days yeah, orbital period yeah so you can literally see these the the light curve for this exoplanet every single day <laughs> and mm. so you know that's just further evidence that like oh yes this is actually this is actually only yeah. an exoplanet. So it's a very powerful technique, you know, that these that, that we just used by ourselves that is actually computerized and then used by, you know, very, very, very high sophisticated systems. Because, I mean, if you think about it, like, that's basically what they're doing as well. They're just like, you know, taking the background and subtracting all that and then looking mm -hmm. at each star individually. Because an interesting thing, and this is, I don't know how much this plays into it because we didn't really discuss it while doing our lab, but extinction like gases mm -hmm. in in space i guess for for this lab it wouldn't really matter because we're talking about relative right because we're talking about relative yeah, fluxes, and, yeah. Al and also it's like we're looking at like one star and we're analyzing the curve for that one star so like the intrinsic flux or like the apparent magnitude versus the intrinsic mm. magnitude like no, but we're not really concerned about either that. way like it doesn't really affect our measurements because in this particular experiment we are we are looking at the relative values right so it doesn't really matter if there's more or less extinction because that doesn't change the relative values right yeah that's technically right also mm. extinction i think we've talked about this before right it's just dust <laughs> it's just what happens when light goes through dust in space there's a lot of dust in space by the way so when light happens to pass by this dust some of it's absorbed some of it's transmitted and some of it some of the dust itself heats up and this heated up dust now starts to emit its own light right so now we have to actually correct or not necessarily correct but just know that hey this effect actually takes place right so that's that's one thing, not necessarily relevant to this particular experiment, but I was just thinking that it might have something. It doesn't really have anything. Are you thinking about circumstellar dust, like in what we're doing in our yes, most yes, recent lab? Yes. So yeah, the dust that's like in space wouldn't actually heat up enough to like emit its yeah, own. Yeah, I'm light. talking about like around the star. Yeah, so yeah, right? so it's not like, not just like, dust like in space. The dust like that's close to the star will be heated. Would up. be heated yeah. up. Sorry, yeah. that, that that that's more correct. Yeah. 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 Um. But yeah, that's right. All that about extinction. Um, what's our next? What's our next step? Now that we have our curve. Well, yeah. So once we, we have, have once curve, we yeah. have the sky variation. Yeah. Once we have our and sky we divide variation. the curves, um, we know which star we're looking at. By the way, which one has the exoplanet? Then we take we isolate that curve of the star we're looking for. We divide out the sky variation, and just like magic, we get a very nice straight line a dip and then it comes back to a straight line and it's like wow okay we have identified um the planet transit now now that we have like the actual dip in the light curve it's time to analyze that dip because there are a lot of things that you can deduce from just that transition okay mm -hmm. first thing you want to do is normalize the light curve which means that we're talking about relative flux when the flat part of your curve 
is equal to one, we're talking about units of stellar flux, right? So the star that you're talking about emits a flux of one. And then anything that gets in the way will be reducing it by a certain percentage. So technically, this step isn't required. It's useful, but it's not required. To, to analyze. No, because right? even the because even the radius and all yeah, that stuff is given. Sure. Yeah, technically, sure. like the like the general formula that's used doesn't use re relative actually, flux. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, it uses no, delta I guess F over right. F, delta so it doesn't F actually F, use yeah, relative flux. So if you think like it helps, it helps to see it a lot, sure, yeah. you know, because sometimes like if it's also like 500, like a 1%, no, I guess a 1%, I guess the percentage would be, yeah, I mean, the percentage, percentage would, be, would, the would be the same, yeah, exactly. but would the dip show as much? Yeah, it would. I guess yeah, it would, it would show your, the same. Your, the axes of yeah, your graph yeah. would so be... So I guess nothing would really yeah. change no, nothing except change. for just understanding it's, I mean, nothing I really would I guess, change. I guess we're just... It's just percentage, so we're dealing yeah, with... Yeah, I mean, it's just... Because yeah. remember, it's all about proportionality, right? Because we're saying that the um, like the amount that the light dips is related to the size of the planet yeah. in relation to the star, yeah. of course. Because imagine to the, the moon, quote-unquote, transiting in front of our sun, blocks a lot of the light, right? Like, almost all of it. Yes, almost. exactly. Right? That's because, you know... <laughs> I guess we can't really compare it to a, a planet I mean, that's a orbiting. Good, yeah. But from our perspective, it's a very big planet that's mm. radius is very similar mm. to that of the sun's. Mm. And that's why it blocks all of it. But then a, a smaller object passing in front of the sun would block less of the light. And so we can therefore, you know, say, I think it's like the proportionality is radius squared. Mm. Right. Mm. So. The percentage by how much it dips is proportional to the radius squared of the planet over the radius squared of... That has, to, that has to do with projected areas onto the sky. And by the way, I hope it, I didn't confuse anybody. Um, but in the case where we're looking at a star that's very far away from here, um, we actually don't take into consideration how far away the planet is from the star in terms of the um, radius calculation, because technically, the further away the planet is from the star, the bigger the effect is, right? Because imagine you have like a big star and a mm. small planet, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but the planet is really close to the star. Mm. Then it would almost seem like just a little piece of dust, right? But then imagine the planet is like, super super far away from this from the sun like almost close to you yeah almost yeah. close to us it would literally block more than, the, than yeah. the star so but in this case because these stars are just so far away like this effect like if a, if a planet is is gravitationally bound to the star really this mm. distance compared to how far the star is actually from us is so negligible that we, we don't even consider that that effect this episode of the podcast is sponsored by brilliant if you've liked any of the stuff we've been talking about so far, I mean, you're already here, aren't you? You must enjoy these courses. Brilliant offers a very interactive way to uh, approach a lot of programs, a lot of question answer, a lot of practice base. So we kind of like that about them. And interestingly enough, they have a whole section called Worlds Beyond Earth, where they talk about exoplanets and in particular, transits. It's exactly what we're talking about in this episode. So if you enjoyed it and if you want to know more about it, always good to know that the first chapter of every brilliant course is completely free just for you to go and check it out. And if you do happen to enjoy it, enter the code MPP or simply go to brilliant.org forward slash MPP for a 20% discount on your premium subscription. Go check them out. Now back to the episode. Now well, that we have, what do we have right now? Radius. I guess a lot of the other stuff that we calculated isn't really relevant because we have to go and take data yeah. from an actual catalog. Oh, but something else that's pretty important to mention and that I said we we're going to talk about more in detail, and now is that time, is something called limb darkening. Oh. Because in the very beginning of this podcast, I said, let's just assume that our star is a disk uniformly lit sending photons our way 
And it just so happens that stars just aren't like that. Mm. That's not how they are. They're actually brighter in the middle and dimmer around the edge of the star. Mm. This Which, is simply, I mean, we can explain it quickly. This is simply because of how, well, the core and the, for, like, what are we really seeing when we're talking about a star? So the thing is, when you're looking at the center of a star, well, what you're seeing is, in fact, the photons from the very center. That makes sense. I mean, you would you would essentially want to see the photons from the very center in all cases. That would mean it's completely uniformly lit. However, center projected center projected center right. always project. I'm always because the, the photons come from <clears throat> like the last the last collision basically is in the photosphere, which is not as hot as mm. the center, mm. which means the photons are not are like lower energy. Right, like the black body spectrum only depends on the temperature of the photosphere and not the the core, right? So when we're talking about like, when we say center, we mean like, okay, you project the star onto like a two-dimensional thing in the middle of the circle. Yeah, technically, yeah, it's not necessarily, yeah. So that's how we're dealing with it in, in, in this case, at least, because we're just trying to keep it simple. So having that the center is in fact very hot and the photosphere or like the outer layers of the star is very, very, very much colder. I think the difference in the sun is is quite is like six order no like three no three order right. magnitudes right. It's One, like two, ten three. of the six. Ten of the seven in the middle. Ten of the seven in the middle. Ten of the three. Ten of the ten, ten of the of four. Three, ten of the four. In on the right. in the, in the photosphere, so quite a large difference in the temperature itself, and that temperature difference is actually what causes this whole effect. Because what we see is on the limbs, quote unquote, of a star, which is basically the edges. And we're talking about the edges of the star. The, the, the core is, how do I explain this actually? I'm, I'm actually thinking about the diagram and I'm like, it's so much better just to draw it. Yeah. But, well, it's like yeah, maybe essentially even, our line of sight. If we, if we take our line of sight and we look at the middle of the star, it's pointed towards the hotter regions of the star. But mm. as soon as you look away from the center, mm. you're kind of piercing the colder regions of the star, which is like the outer regions. And so we receive less, or we receive like lower energy photons and actually less of them because it's like thinner. You know what I mean? Like the, yeah. the optical depth. Less is. energy photons, also why 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 this whole thing happens, right? Mm -hmm. Why we get this less like lesser brightness, I guess. Because in a case where this is not true, if the star would be completely uniformly bright, then when the planet transits, what we expect is from the moment it's okay, now this these are I guess two terms that we can also explain, because <laughs> I guess it is important for transits. And it's called the ingress and egress times. It's just just two words. You probably will never remember it again. But basically what they represent is the, the position. So ingress is when the planet is completely inside of the star with respect, again, from our perspective. Yeah. Well, ingress is like the period of transition. Yeah. So being so out to in. I, I mean, ingress is like, yeah. So you can say that the time it takes. And, mm -hmm. and, and the egress is when it's basically just leaving, just leaving the star. So one side of the planet has just entered, you come into the ingress times and the other, and yeah. the moment the other radius, like the other side of the planet touches the outer radius of the star, again, with respect to us, we call that like the egress time, right? Wait, why was I bringing this up again? Oh yeah. So in the case of no limb darkening, we have in between this, in, in, in between these times, we have, well, generally, it would just be a flat curve, right? Because the brightness has dimmed by some factor. And assuming that the star is uniformly bright, it should dim by that same factor throughout the planet's mm -hmm. transition. Yeah, but That's now... That's not what we see. Now it depends on the inclination oh. of the planet. Oh. Because let's say the inclination is perfectly 90 degrees, which means the planet passes through the middle of the star. That means as soon as the outer... As soon as the planet touches the, the outer radius of the star and starts to transit in front of it, it will be first transiting in front of the dimmer limb areas of the star. And then it will keep dimming more and more because it's going near the hotter regions. Mm -hmm. It's covering up the higher flux regions. By the way, the, 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 the planet always goes through the middle of the star. 
Like no regard, like even in an incline or like no, no matter how your orbit is, like with respect to us, like it's over. Like what do you mean middle of the star? No, so the basically the inclination is with respect to our line of sight. Yeah. What is the inclination of the orbit? Okay, which means that the when the orbit is inclined a tiny bit, it'll just pass over the top part, right? See, when the orbit is inclined, it'll just go over the top part of the star, which means that. This is when the limb darkening effects become important because out here it'll never actually get to the full, the full mm. brightness of the star. Yeah. Right. So if the yeah. inclination is let's say like a couple degrees, and the star only covers up, let's say, like the very top like couple, couple percentage right of the star, mm. then it's only covering up the the dim parts of the star mm. which means that our model fails dramatically because our first model assumes that the upper parts of the star are yes. illuminating our camera the same amount as the middle parts of the star and so we will be predicting that it actually like the dip should be a lot deeper than it actually is versus what we actually see is just like a tiny dip because because the flux that it blocks is not that much compared mm -hmm. to other parts of the star yeah. so we take where will we correct for this by using the limb darkening model right so it basically i mean we don't obviously obviously i don't even i don't even think we really understand that model but it's a pretty i mean it's a it's a pretty sophisticated model i mean mathematically it's pretty easy to understand but the the thing is that there are different models yeah. to to actually explain this there's you know we use a quadratic model which just means that there's two degrees of freedom um there are other models like i know there's like a logarithmic exponential all that kind of stuff um and turns out that one model is not better than the other they mm -hmm. i think they all have their strengths depending on i guess what depending what on your star yeah depending on your star depending on your planet yeah. i'm assuming too and these are all so powerful because through this simple measurement of radius now, we didn't actually do this in the lab because it was actually significantly harder, but you can actually do a lot of more things through the radius measurement. Having the radius, you can compute the period because it's constrained, right? And then you can... Yeah, but this ties into a lot, of, a lot of other quantities in the orbit that we didn't okay, talk about. That we didn't, oh, like the impact parameter yes. and yes. That, that kind of stuff. I guess, I guess, I guess you're right. But yeah, that's pretty much, <clears throat> that's pretty much like the the core of of exoplanet transitions i mean the whole the whole core is just finding out finding the radius yeah. of the planet that's <clears throat> finding that's... finding the light curve seeing the dip in in the in the light curve you know finding <clears throat> the relative flux dimming percentage mm -hmm. and then from there you can infer different properties about the system we didn't even talk about astrometry man i'm just thinking about that now but i i, I do want to say something though that uh, these two things are called important things. So astrophotometry is actually... So the things that we did in this case is, is actually astrophotometry, is the astrophysics of dealing with images and dealing with photons. Uh, photons? Yeah, uh, yeah, photons, yeah. photons. So we actually did two types of photometry in this experiment. We did aperture photometry, which is basically simply looking at the a singular star and computing its flux. So the whole act of computing a flux of a star is called aperture photometry. Very fancy name for it. And then when we compared all the stars, we call that differential photometry. Because what you're doing is when you have the apertures, the aperture photometry, like when you already have this done for multiple stars, as we were talking about dividing the variation and whatnot. So that's basically differential photometry, the second part of it, where once you already have all the apertures, you now divide it out by the variation. So, I mean, kind of just assists what we've already spoken about, not really adding anything new. Maybe you can search it up in your own time. There are actually very interesting ways to do it. Also, because this is exactly how telescopes and supercomputers compute things. So it's a little interesting to say, hey, we just did a simplified version of that. Because remember, in our case, also one thing that you have to always account for is the fact that these stars are moving, right? 
So when you're taking one image, I mean, sorry, 300 images across three hours, you have to remember that in your night sky, these things aren't constant. They're moving because the earth is moving. So now you have to take into these extra, you have to take into these extra effects where you actually account for, you know, added, ver added variation in the fact that the earth is moving. So it's just small things here and there that uh, we must pay close attention to. But apart from that, that's basically the essence of finding a planet, mm. right? Like, how cool is that? How cool is that? I think that's really cool. Yeah. When we found the light curve, I just remember you screaming. <laughs> because it was so it was so satisfactory. I mean, that, that was mostly because we were in a time crunch. Okay. <laughs> maybe, maybe not necessary to say. Like... Maybe not necessary. But um, well, the importance is that when we found the curve, it's a very satisfying experience. Because I think just relating that to groundbreaking physics, because wh what are we doing? The things that we were speaking with, with, with Dr. Sarah Seeger, is literally this. We still don't know which of these planets have, you know, proper like life forms or whatever. Like that's our next step, but that's a step so far away. We can't even see the line to cross. So all we're doing right now is just figuring or just cataloging all the planets that we can really see, all these exoplanets that we can really see, and then, well, differentiating them with respect to mass and radius. So then we can one day, when we finally, let's say, have some sophisticated technology to, you know, determine life from atmospheric composition or whatnot, we already have a huge catalog of planets to test, right? Mm. That's basically the goal. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, unfortunately, we have a class in the next 20 minutes, and we have something else we want to talk about. We can we we can mention it briefly. Like, oh, I was gonna say next episode, but you want you want to mention? No, it? we we can we can because it's not. I mean, I the think thing the about this lab is that there's not much that we can explain. We can explain the like what we did in the lab, but essentially the details of the lab is a lot just in the actual equations. No, but <laughs> I I wanted to talk about the variables. Like I wanted to talk about the longitude of ascending node. Oh yeah. Inclinate. Okay. You know all these variables with basically That's true. quick quick rundown cuz we mentioned it in the beginning of the uh, beginning of the podcast where you might have got confused where we were just talking to each other. Where uh these variables oh so basically what we did is using uh observations made on earth we converted those observations. Now, this is a planet that's orbiting our sun, so it's much, much easier. Using observations we made on Earth, we converted this to observations with respect to the sun. And this, it's, it, this is basically the essence of our lab. <laughs> like this, that was basically the big one. And with like now having the motion, quote unquote, there are a lot more things to actually do, but having the motion around the sun we can now deduce a bunch of parameters of this of this uh, of this object. So what we just did is took telescopic images, just pictures, like two, three pictures from your telescope. Obviously, you need, I think, a minimum of three. No, yes, yeah, a minimum you three, of three. You, you need, need six, a minimum of three. Six, uh degrees of freedom exactly you need a minimum of three to get the acceleration so so basically to get the proper motion of the of the object so just with three images you can literally deduce the orbit of anything around well in this yeah. case our sun yeah it, i think you that's know, very impressive the, in the degree of precision is very okay. questionable but very. you can still do it <laughs> there's definitely a lack of precision with a lot of uncertainties and a no, lot of, i mean i think that's mostly up like us like our i don't know Okay, yes, also because we're, yes, yes, very, very unsophisticated in yeah. comparison to like yeah. what, again, these yeah. telescopes do automatically, yeah. right? Like these telescopes will take, you know, four images separated and automatically compute the whole thing and it's already done. Because yeah. all of these can just be put into one yeah. uh, Python and, script. And also time. like, yeah, it, it, it's already been like coded yeah. by yeah. smarter people yeah. <laughs> who know what they're doing. So like as soon as you get yeah, like, too. and even like, Telescopes can take more than three images, right? And like the more images you have, the more, the more constraints you was, have on the assume, on the yeah. on the orbit. So the mm -hmm. more precise it'll be. So. Yeah. yeah. So just just different things. Um, maybe I think I think we should definitely dedicate an episode to just talking about these variables because yeah, it's important be in in two reasons. Talking about different coordinate planes, right? We have two major ones, which is the uh, which is the ecliptic. No, no, no. Sorry two not coordinate planes two like reference like reference objects basically like 
basically what I'm saying is heliocentric and geocentric coordinates. This is very important to the whole lab. Heliocentric is centered around the sun and geocentric is around the earth. So this conversion between these two is very important that I think we can literally dedicate a whole episode to as well as dedicating it to talking about the individual variables that actually impact the orbit. So there are six orbital parameters that basically dictate your whole orbit. You have these parameters, you know everything about an orbit. So, and they're pretty significant. So I was thinking maybe we can do it at the end of this, but I don't think the time exists. No. So we can definitely push it to a future episode. Well, all right. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It was definitely an enjoyable one for us as well. Uh, definitely after some time. So we'd like to thank you for keeping up with us. Maybe a little rough in the beginning, but we'll always get there. Mm -hmm. And yeah. yeah, well, we will be back. Don't know when. <laughs> Hopefully next week. Uh, we'll see how next things week go. will be tough no, next week no we'll maybe not next week we yeah. will we'll try but chances are very yeah, low the thing is like chances are low every single week we literally have like one thing due in every single class and oh. on different days of the week so it's like we're, <laughs> we're never actually not doing anything it's so, so it's, it's so crazy it's, it's so crazy. crazy it's just so crazy i can't even begin and on april 8th like the last day of class, we're just done. You know? No, but the thing is that <laughs> I think this is for you. Too. I think this is for everyone. All of my stuff is due on that day. Every course that I have, oh. all six courses has something due on that day. Uh, not for me. <laughs> so it is just miserable. It is just miserable. So after that day, it is going to be quite a lot more calm for mm. the both of us. Yeah. So after that, yes, for sure. Episode will be coming out. But before that, again, we'll try, but no guarantees. But during okay. the summer, it'll for sure oh, be. Oh, in the summer. Oh, we could talk about what we're going to do during the summer. You got like rocket Oh, stuff. yes. First you know of all. I mean? yeah. yeah. Oh, first yeah. of all. What do you yeah. mean? Oh, yeah. Our summer episodes are going to be really fun too. Yeah. Also because we're going to have a lot more time. And also a quick note about, we didn't actually mention this. I'm remembering this now. All of the giveaways that we have, like oh, NFTs, yeah. books, <laughs> we forgot all to the mention stuff. That. Yeah, all the stuff. We're gonna do it after our exams. There's yeah. just no way we can handle yeah. the logistics thought, of this right now. You know, we just have to bring it back to the basics. You know, yeah, exactly. Sta it started off by just us talking about physics, and you know, we just gotta tap into that for now. For now, for and, now, uh, it'll it'll come back. Just in the in the summer, we're gonna organize all of our giveaways, all merch, of our merch, merch, all of our. Uh, we haven't no, done merch no, yet. There's just so many things. To like keep merch was of. announced in December, and we just yeah. literally <laughs> since since December we've just been busy. <laughs> like we just had no time. Anyways. It's really crazy. But anyways, I hope you can understand. I'm sure you do. All Anything right. else? All right. Well, I think that's it. Thank you for listening. We will thank see you. you guys next time. Bye, everybody. <laughs>